You are listening to the IFH Podcast Network. For more amazing filmmaking and screenwriting podcasts, just go to ifhpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast, episode number 266. Where there is no imagination, there is no horror. Arthur Cohen Doyle. Broadcasting from a dark, windowless room in Hollywood, when we really should be working on that next draft. It's the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast, showing you the craft and business of screenwriting while teaching you how to make your screenplay bulletproof. And here's your host, Alex Ferrari. Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast. I am your humble host, Alex Ferrari. Now, today's show is sponsored by Bulletproof Script Coverage. Now, unlike other script coverage services, Bulletproof Script Coverage actually focuses on the kind of project you are and the goals of the project you are. So we actually break it down by three categories, micro-budget, indie film market, and studio film. There's no reason to get coverage from a reader that's used to reading tentpole movies when your movie's going to be done for $100,000. And we wanted to focus on that at Bulletproof Script Coverage. Our readers have worked with Marvel Studios, CAA, WME, NBC, HBO, Disney, Scott Free, Warner Brothers, The Blacklist, and many, many more. So if you need your screenplay or TV script covered by professional readers, head on over to CoverMyScreenplay.com. Now, how many filmmakers out there want to learn how to direct epic action on a budget? I teamed up with veteran film director and best-selling author Gil Beckman to teach a three-day directing video series on how to direct epic action on a budget. If you want access to this free masterclass, just head over to IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash free. Well, guys, today on the show, we have director Damon Thomas, and he is the director of the new Amazon horror comedy my best friend's exorcism. Now, Damon and I spoke all about the balance between making a good horror comedy, how you could do it properly, talking about Sam Raimi and Evil Dead and a lot of the skill sets that are needed. And we really just talked about a lot of stuff that is not really talked about too often about directors, about what it takes to make it, what what his journey was in the business and so much more. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Damon Thomas. I'd like to welcome to the show, Damon Thomas. How are you doing, Damon? Great, great. A bit tired. We had the screening last night, the premiere. It was like 300 people at Beyond Fest. Uh, so it was a big night, uh, a lot of reactions, a lot of talking, but it was a great night. And yeah, I'm really pleased to be here. Great, my friend. Congratulations on your new film, My Best Friend's Exor- Exorcism, which is as insane as it sounds. Uh, <laughs> Right. It's got one of those titles like Sharknado. Like, you know what you're going to get. <laughs> I 100% agree with you. Like, as soon as I got sent that in my inbox, like in 2019, and it was like my best friend's exorcism, I thought, this is brilliant. You know, you just can't wait to read it. And every moment since I got signed up to do it, where people say to me, hey, what are you up to? And I go, I'm doing my best friend's exorcism. People always smile. It's just, I, I, and I, then they go, wow, really? And you go, yeah. <laughs> I said, well, you know what it's about. <laughs> exactly. It's about my best friend's exorcism. I mean, it's as, it's as perfect. I mean, it's like Jaws. Like, you know what you're going to get. <laughs> Wait, no, it's great, right? And, um, and yeah, so, and then you say, it's set in the 80s. And they go, great. Done. <laughs> you had me at hello. You had yeah, me at exactly. hello. 
that's the brilliant part about it too is i was watching it and i'm just going oh the 80s i mean everyone's doing 80s stuff now and stranger yeah. things has brought it back and made it cool yeah, again but for my generation and i'm assuming yours as well the 80s yeah. uh you know is awesome <laughs> So my simpler first question, times, simpler times, right? Oh my God. Can you imagine? Oh God, simpler times when there was no internet, there was no social media. I mean, there was, you barely had remote controls on the television. <laughs> right. I mean, I, I mean, when you think about it, you had to, if you were going to meet someone, you phone them. And if you had a dial up phone, you would slip on like the seventh digit and you go, put the phone down and go, but you start that whole thing again. And then you call your friend and say, like, I'll meet you there. Put the phone down. You go to that place. And if they weren't there, you were like, where are they? And then you'd have to find a phone box, call their house and go, do you know where they are? And they go, well, they left 20 minutes. So you're like, no, no, it's like years lost. Years <laughs> of also, our lives. <laughs> also, you know, slight sort of off topic, but the feeling of boredom was something to behold back in the 80s. You know, but if you had nothing to do, there wasn't that instant kind of like dopamine hit of something new from your like, oh, let's go down a rabbit hole down the internet now. And you would just used to stare and feel so bored. It was untrue. It was like a sort of sport. It was like profound oh. boredom. And you had three channels. And if nothing was on that you liked, you were pretty much done until you yeah. had a friend who had cable. And yeah. then you would go over and maybe get three more channels. And yeah. then you'd be, and if there was nothing there, you have to go outside and actually interact with other human beings. Uh, scary. Yeah. Oh, you, it's ter terrifying. Yeah. Oh, you, oh you, exactly. <laughs> or you had to like think of something to do, didn't you? You had to go read a book. Uh, I go, yeah, read. I mean, God, read a book. I mean, uh, wow. Anyway, yeah. It's just a bunch of, now we just sound like two old farts talking I know. About, <laughs> about the I older days. I said it. It's just two old farts talking about the old days. <laughs> yeah, and it, and it's too old. Exactly, exactly. So uh, my first question, sir, is uh, how and why did you want to get into this insanity that is the film business? Oh, you know, for me, it started when I watched Blade Runner in the cinema. That'll do I it. Just, <laughs> I just went, I need to be in that. Somewhere I need to be in that. I mean, even back then, there was so little information about what that was, Nothing. working in the film industry. It, there was like, we used to have this program that was just called Film or whatever the year it was that Barry Norman used to present. It was called Film 1985 or 1982. And then you would just watch that. And that was the only information. And then occasionally you'd have an arts documentary and that was, there was nothing else. And then you might look up films in, in encyclopedias. And um, oh, God, now- we're, we're dating ourselves so badly, encyclopedias. <laughs> But the funny thing is, my, my daughter, that who's like 15, will say to me, it was really interesting in that movie. They were like broke the fourth wall. And, you know, she's got her oh. whole sort of like terms of reference about filmmaking and everything are so amazing that you kind of go, I just, you know, we were just in the darkness of the wilderness. And so, um, so that I kind of got into documentaries and then I kind of came. You know, it, it took me a long while to sort of find my route into drama and sort of directing drama. But uh, then, of course, I just always wanted to make a movie. Isn't it? Isn't it interesting though that you know I have kids as well, and and they are you know much more educated than uh, because there's just so much more information about everything yeah. now. I mean, the you would get the occasional Star Wars making of or the Indiana Jones making of, and that was pretty much it. 
I mean, you, yeah. you didn't see anything else until in the later 80s when, you know, then it started to become a little bit better. And then in the 90s yeah. with DVD commentaries and laser discs. Now I'm really yeah. going to hold commentaries of the laser, the criterion laser discs and stuff like That's that. You wanted to hear, didn't you? You wanted to hear like how people did stuff. You, It was like, um, you know, behind the curtain, the Wizard of Oz. It's like, how are they doing this stuff? How is it being made? How do you do this? And uh, whereas now there are, you can just go on YouTube and go like, how do you do that? I'll just put it in, you know, and I'll find someone telling me how it's done or someone would have made a film about it. And it's, that is sort of great because it opens it up to everybody. Right. But makes... th but then then the bad thing is it opens it up to everybody. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. So now before right. you didn't have as much competition, like I always yeah. tell people like in the 80s, if you finished a film on 35, it was sold. Like you just yeah. good, bad. I mean, Toxic Avenger got theatrical yeah. release. Like it doesn't really yeah. matter. But now everybody's making a movie and now it's about getting seen and, and all of that kind of stuff. But you were saying about your daughter knowing how the reference from uh, references yeah. about that the generation that's come, that is now it is so educated in story yeah. it is so difficult for the for us as filmmakers as storytellers yes. to make something that's interesting that doesn't hasn't been done before and every year that goes by it's getting harder and harder yeah. and harder to yeah. because you know things that worked in the 70s and 80s just don't they can't work in the, like I, I was i was showing I think it was some kids were watching Rocky the other day. Rocky, Rocky, yeah. and they're like, eh. because every because they've just seen everybody rip off Rocky, yeah, of course. for the last 40, 50 years. Yeah. So it doesn't have the same umph to it as it used to. So it's it, how do you, as a storyteller, kind of kind of deal with that? Because it is something very very difficult. Things that Hitchcock yeah. never had to deal with. No, we, we do. Right. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Uh, I mean, I suppose every genre has tropes. Um, so, and the, you know, the horror genre is a very broad church from slasher movies to psychological horror, to sci-fi horror, you know, to Alien, Aliens and those amazing movies to kind of comedy horror. And so you, you know, the, the exorcist is sort of like the benchmark of like the hand, it's a handbook of how to, you know, do you, are you going to do the vomit? Are you going to do the, you know, are you going to do, and, and how are you going to do it? And uh, it's sort of interesting because you're always going to disappoint someone. You're always going to, someone's going to go, well, I wasn't scary. But the thing about it is I didn't want, want the film to have this sort of tone that felt like an 80s movie. And then it kind of went into a completely new realm, like, oh my, you know, where did that come from? Right. And I wanted it to stay within the same thing. So The Exorcism for me was a great, I thought, can we pull off this thing where it's kind of scary and quite disturbing, but then it's funny, it's like relieved by this real character of Christian Lemon. And the thing is, because, once you, he's sort of desperate, uh, but, um, and, you know, when I, when I first met Chris, we were talking about it at rehearsal, I said, he's sort of a loser, but he's kind of a bit cocky, but he... A cocky loser, he, a cocky loser. <laughs> yeah, and he does want this, he does want it really badly, so that when the demon shows himself, he just goes like... Yes, how we have high, a demon! And he does a high five, and she's totally traumatized. And for me, and it was great watching it last night because people really enjoyed that moment. 
and uh, really enjoyed Christian Lemon. And I think actually it's, it showed me that there's kind of quite a nice group dynamic when you, I think you could really watch this movie with a group of friends. Oh yeah. I, it's not like, I don't think it's a sort of, well, you know, people watch, obviously watch your mobile devices all the time, but it actually made me really think about that group experience of watching movies. You know, I went to the cinema, as I see Thor with my son, you know, <laughs> a week ago and, no, it's, it, it is great being in a cinema, isn't it? There's something that is, so I, that's why I thought last night, I thought it actually really helps when <laughs> everyone's going through, because like when, when, the, when the, she burns him, Andras, yeah, they, they all cheered last night. It was fantastic. You know, I was totally not expecting it. But it's primal. Theatrical yeah. experiences, it's a primal experience and we're all around the fire. Yeah. It's a primal thing and group experiences of a story where, you know, the core of all stories is, is basically to teach us not to be eaten by the tiger down the street. Yeah. You yeah. know, around around the corner. Right. That was the point of stories right. around the campfires. They were and then they evolved into morals and lessons and things. And now it's entertainment because we get a yeah. lot of the meat and potatoes from other right. other kind of media. But it is. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Without question. Now, uh, go ahead. And just to, also just to pick up on that point is I think that. Even if you have never made a uh, movie, TV, uh, and you know, but you've people sort of absorb so much about you. Sort of watch something, you go, "They're going to get together. He's going to die. He won't." Right. You know, you just feel it, right? You feel you know that. It. You know it because you know how these things work. You sort of so that when you get like uh, you know, say a series like Severance or Station Eleven. Be on TV, you let you go. I've got no idea where this is going, and they they feel quite refreshing. And I wanted to do some things where you sort of felt. I thought, wouldn't it be funny if this felt like a movie that someone thought they hadn't seen from the eighties? So it had a bit of an eighties vibe, and but also if you had an Exorcist that was just so unlike any Exorcist you've seen before, and and to really, but to make him so we, I really set him up. So that when he comes to do the exorcism, you really enjoy him. So that with the high fives that he's always doing. Up to you know, that <laughs> stuff. But, but, you know, he is cheesy. But, you know, there were weightlifting Christian evangelists. If you put it on YouTube, you can see these guys pumping iron for Jesus. And they existed. They were real. They were real people. So it's not far-fetched. And he is a real person. He is like... Totally believes that, you know, his purity and <laughs> I mean, I even really like it that he can't remember Gretchen's name. You know, he comes out in the middle of it, goes, you know, what's her name? It's so true because it's all about him. <laughs> obviously, obviously. No, it, it's 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 brilliant. And you're right. It's so because we've just seen it so much and yeah. we've seen it and we've seen it done well and we've seen it done bad. You know, so yeah, like true. if you're going to see a shark, if you're going to see a shark movie and you've seen Jaws, yeah. It's gonna it's gonna be tough for you to figure out a new way to do a shark movie because it was done pretty much yeah. flawlessly the first yeah, time. Exactly. And the Exorcist, and the Exorcist is it's the same thing. Yeah. It's flawless. And also, some people then get disappointed if you don't do the things that have been done before because you're like, like, well, what happened to that? Where's that?" You know, and they go, uh, "But you're like you were saying, how do you do it different? You're all trying to find ways to, you know, like reinvent the wheel." And it's already been filmed and done like a thousand times. So you are, 
you're in kind of familiar territory, but you know, I did want to, yeah, as best as I best could just get that tone right. And, you know, uh, if people, you know, you can only do what you can do. You know, there's always, yeah. Yeah, listen, it's, we're in the we're in the world of everyone has an opinion, and everyone can f express that opinion on uh, Rotten Tomatoes or on you know comments and things like that on social media. But at the end of the day, as a filmmaker, you just got to do what you got to do. One thing yeah. I did love about about the movie is that you are able to balance humor and horror, which is not easy. It is not easy to do that as a filmmaker, okay. as, a as a storyteller, because I've seen really bad. Because if the balance is off, I've seen bad horror comedies where if the balance is off, right. you know, like Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness, like they, they, those movies, you know, what Sam, Sam in general, it could do no harm, no wrong in my eyes. But, yeah. he, but he's able to balance that. And you were able to balance the horror and the comedy beautifully in this film because oh, it's not yeah. it's not easy, man. It's not easy. Yeah, I mean, I think it comes from truth, I think. If your characters feel like the real article, even if they are heightened, I mean, we all, we all know people that feel quite heightened types, don't you? You're going to meet people who are strong flavors, and they're real people. And Christian Lemon is a strong flavor. And, uh, but, it, yeah, but as long as he's being truthful to that character in that set of circumstances, and it's sort of balanced with, you know, Abby's kind of like sheer, like, oh my God. You know, you know, it, 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 it was one of the things I put in because he just sort of said, oh, she needs an exorcism. And it, originally she, she went, well, how do I do that? I just sort of, I kind of said, she would really, really go, what? <laughs> you know, it's not a normal thing, you know. Generally speaking. Because, because it's, it's an exorcism movie, it doesn't mean that everyone knows that, you know, an exorcism is something that is actually real. So... Uh, <laughs> So he talks in that really patronizing way when he gets the yoga and he goes, there's an ex, there's a demon inside it. He's, you know, <laughs> he's really patronizing to her. And I thought that's exactly what he would say. Like, like, are you stupid? And he's like, <laughs> come on, of course it's just a demon. Yeah. And so to your point is that if you have, it's like in Killing Eve, I did a scene where Eve <laughs> kills a guy with an axe, like being spurred on by Villanelle. But that, that scene is quite funny because the axe gets stuck in his back and so she can't pull it out. And so she's being shouted at by him and like, hit him again. And she's saying, I can't, the axe is stuck. And the guy's going, ah! And so it's kind of really disturbing, but it is funny because, and I think those things can sit right next to each other. Like, because the Coen brothers do it all the time. Oh. They kind of, you know, they put like, and I think that it's, it's a bit like when you go to a funeral, that, you feel like sometimes doing the other thing that you're not meant to, like laughing, because it's the relief intention that you need because of the emotional expectation. You know, oh, you're did, 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 I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, but did, when you said no. funeral, do you rem I don't know if you saw this online somewhere, but some guy died. Okay, he died. And at his funeral, he, he put a speaker, he had his family put a speaker inside of the, inside of the casket <laughs> and as they're, as they're, this is part of his wishes, as it's being laid down, like, hey, 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 no, 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 I'm alive. I'm alive. No, no, oh no, no. Stop. And he's hitting and knocking and, and it's, and people are pissing themselves. I mean, the kids, oh, everyone's wow. crying, but then everyone starts laughing because they know it's what he yeah. would do. 
I'm like, oh my God, that is so that, brilliant. That is brilliant. That is fantastic. That's my forward planning as well, isn't it? That's real forward planning. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. That's yeah, yeah. He, I think he was sick and he was gonna die. He's like, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this right. And my favorite tombstone ever is like, I told you I was ill. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. Very, very good. Now, so when you started your career, Damon, I'm assuming that uh, the second you said I'm going to be a director, that the trucks of money came in, all the doors came wide open and said, Damon, whatever you want to do, all you have is time and money. <laughs> oh, my God, if only. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, yeah no, I've had, it's a long journey. I, I mean, I did a degree in physics and I, of course. Because oh, uh, <laughs> that's a prerequisite <laughs> to be a filmmaker. <laughs> yeah, and then I just got a job in, uh, you know, uh, I got a job in BBC News and then I gave that up to go and work on an arts programme and then I gradually just did more and more documentaries. They did drama documentaries with uh, about Beethoven and uh, <clears throat> other things. And then I got, uh, yeah, just got a break, you know. Um, I, someone actually approached me to do a drama documentary and I said, why don't we just do a drama? And it was set in the Antarctic. We had like £120,000 uh, to make it set. And I, I, when I filmed it inside an art, a sort of ice fridge, it was all set uh, on, a, on one of um, Scott's Antarctic missions. So that so their breath was all sort of... Because there's no, no, no budget for VFX. No budget for VFX. Yeah. And we, and we snowed up a studio that was tiny. And um, yeah, it was, yeah. So it started back then in 2006. So yeah, it's been a long road. You know, it's been a lot of, it's a lot of miles on the... <laughs> miles on the tires as they say miles yeah, on the exactly. tires and but so, so, just, so, the, so the question is though because a lot of filmmakers listening are going through these these stages and again even in 06 yeah. it was a different world than we are today like you know yeah, we're, we're, it, it's so much more difficult to get in now than it was in the early 2000s how did you keep going is there any advice you can give the filmmakers listening right. I mean, obviously back then it was a bit like if you wanted to make a record, you know, you were like you could, you just couldn't afford to go into a recording studio. So they seemed very out of touch, beyond reach. I think the good thing about today is you can make a, a movie on your iPhone. And I think the thing what you learn by just doing it is sort of, um, uh, you know, how do you make something that just kind of engages people, you know? And I think that that's the thing. You just start making stuff, even if it's, you, you know, you and a friend. Do something about your life. Something that's kind of like you could be filming your own house or in your garden or down the park or things that you get. So they don't need huge production. So it sets something contemporary and just start sort of just putting something together. Because the thing is, that's what people judge you about. They kind of look at you and see, have you got a voice? Have you got a story? Can you do something funny? Can you make something? And... You know, um, it's it's amazing how you can engage people with something very small. It's like don't overreach. Um, that's always the thing about filmmaking is, you know, don't just spend all your money on one shot and then the rest of the film feels like it's had no money. You really but, think, but Kubrick, like, but Kubrick and Scorsese did it. Why can't I? <laughs> but you know, you know, I was reading the other day because I love The Shining. Um, oh. So it's, my, yeah. it's one of my favorites. Look at that. It's one of my favorites. Basic, right? It's such an amazing film. And, you know, uh, Jack Nicholson axed 60 dolls to get his Johnny. That's it. Over three days. 
course. I mean, I mean. Can you imagine? Can you imagine taking one of the biggest movie stars in the world today and you're not Stanley Kubrick and going, yeah. or, or David Fincher at this point, and, yeah. and just That's doing it. 60, 60 Dawn takes. Dawn number 40. Get Dawn number 40. And they're like, they're exhausted by axing doors. <laughs> I think I did. I, know, I think Fincher, I, I, no, I'm sorry, but I think Fincher on social network, I, when when uh, I think Al, Andrew Garfield had to smash the the um, the laptop, yeah, and the, they did like forty of them. They had, he had literally forty laptops sitting wow. there because Crazy. he knew it was good. It, because that's David Fincher. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, uh, we, it's we don't all have the. I mean, you know, he's Tater. <laughs> you could say he's right because he turns out brilliant film, right? Hey, it's his process. Social network <laughs> is it? You know, that shining is a masterpiece. Um, uh, and they change, they change filmmaking, don't they? They change sort of that, you know, when I, when I was doing Killing Eve, that I was quite influenced by, you know, Jack Torrance when he's sitting there and the, and the whole dance is going on behind it, this whole... Oh, I know. And it's so, like, at the edge of the world, sort of madness. And so when I did Killing Eve, I suggested that we do this, did this kind of, like, afternoon tea dance. So you go into this environment... And Villain, I was waiting there, and there's this old-fashioned music playing, and all these people just dancing, and it's like the edge of time. And I just, you get really influenced by, oh, that's, you know. Um, but sorry, we're, we're sort of digressing. I mean, it, 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 in terms of filmmaking, you just have to do, if, the more you do, the more you sort of learn, because you sort of realise, oh, sound is quite important here, good sound. You know, and it gets yes. forgotten. You know, sound, you know, to get great sound that you can actually use, because you know, a lot of times we have to do re-recording. A lot of dialogue is just like planes and all sort of fridges on in the background. And, you know, someone just decides to sort of, you go to the quietest place in the world. And on that day, there's a guy getting his tree cut out. And there's like, and you go over, you go like, people go over and go, do you not cut your tree down? He goes, no, it's, it's, I've paid for it. And you know, you're like, going, oh my God. <laughs> but, you know, it's all those, and you learn how, I mean, you know, working in you know, as I started as a trainee news editor, you start realizing, oh, you can cut that picture with that picture. They sort of cut together. Oh yeah, how do you cut those? Oh, we actually need a cutaway on that, like a, a detail shot, because it tell it helps me tell that story. And you realize that sort of objects, if you see objects in someone's room, it you can actually tell exactly who they are very quickly. And so art direction and all the bits you you know, it's like a messy desk. It's interesting how some people do a messy desk, but it sort of looks like a sort of presentation. You know, because messy desks actually have smears on them and bits of crumbs and, you know, it's all that kind of thing that you start to, you know, you become, you know, uh, over the, you just become super observant about things in a kind of really all the time, that things that you sort of, that make all the difference. Now, you may be watching it as a kind of viewer and go like, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel like a real thing. You can't put your finger on why it doesn't feel real. You know, it's a bit like um, door frames. In a real house, they tend to have quite a lot of scuffs lower down because of all the things that have gone through them over time. Now, if they look pristine, it looks like a new build. You know, it's sort of, it's all those details that you start to get quite attuned to as a director when you start doing stuff. Um, but, you know, story is king you know what's the story and is it engaging it's sort of like you can dress things up with you can spend millions on effects but if they don't engage you about the human condition then you end up going i don't care you know 
you're going to see a film that costs 100 million dollars you thought that <laughs> because we've seen everything haven't we I mean, look, if, the, if if Jurassic Park was just a bunch of dinosaurs walking around and be like, it'd be a documentary. You needed a story. You needed to connect to those characters. You needed the magic yeah. that, that Spielberg brings in. Do you know, on a side note, since you're such a, a Kubrick fan, do you know, I'm sure you do know this, but he, I think it was for Eyes Wide Shut. He right. had his assistant run for a year, run around. Oh, all the theaters? No, not the theaters. No, no, the the side tables of 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 couples in a bed and he'd just go into people's houses ah, and yeah. just take hundreds hundreds of pictures of just how people kept the side tables at night yeah. and he wow. just used them as reference to build out his side tables for wow. and you but who it's not, like, it's not thing, isn't it? you just can't but you know you're talking about someone who spent seven years prepping that movie yeah, and yeah. it was great that he did, but it was horrible that he did because we didn't get more Stanley Kubrick films. I would yeah, die. Right. I would love to see what Stanley would do with today's technology. Can you imagine? Yeah. Can you imagine? Yeah. I mean, you, you, I mean, you know, two thousand and one. It's just again, oh. it's so clever and so so interesting. You know, that was sort of being made in the late sixties, and um, it's kind of amazing. You sort of. Uh, they are different times, and he was a, a particular, you know, very particular director. Um, you know, I'm, I'm also a big fan of like Ridley Scott. You know, oh. I think people yeah. people are still trying to make Alien and Blade, Blade Runner. Runner. Yeah, they're still trying to make those. Those are the benchmarks in the way that you know it's you know that sort of dirty future, like rain soaks, sort of the clash of kind of like different cultures from around the world. You know. That whole feeling, I, you know, it's, it, it, of course they were, they were slightly, you can feel it from the effects point of view, but they, they're so, the characters are so great and the stylization. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Mixed together, that kind of, you know, the realization of it is, uh, they, you know, they had such an impact on me. Um, mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it's why these, you know, you can still go back to those films. That's what I think about how many films you actually revisit and rewatch. Mm -hmm. You know, Ap Apocalypse Now, you know, blew my mind when I watched it. Uh, I can still rewatch that film every single time because it's, you still see something new in it and you just think it's so incredible. And, mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, and the conversation, you know, another amazing, amazing film. And, but also just great, you know, surveillance. You know, I like, I really like the other movie, um, uh, The Lives of Others, which is another surveillance movie. You know, another brilliant film. Because they're all about the, hu the human condition, but they just tell a, a great stories, really well told. And uh, I think that that's what you're always trying to do. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. whether we succeed. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's not easy man listen it's not easy telling a good telling a good story i mean if you're a good storyteller and even the best storytellers that we have in the film industry they don't get it every time no. i mean there's very few that have impeccable uh no. filmographies Some, no. sometimes no, things happen and the thing is you know nobody sets out to make a big pile of crap you know you know no one sort of says you know this year i'm gonna really <laughs> I'm gonna make the work. I'm gonna go make cats. I'm gonna make cats. Let's go make cats. Forty million. Just you know what? Just then move on. Do something good. I mean, it's everyone, just like everyone. You know, it's it. It kind of you know, 
it's a lot of people's lives, you know, spent yeah. dedicated to doing something. And that's oh why, of course, you know, I think it, it, it just takes a huge, I think the thing about it is just not, it's that thing again of not overreaching. Does this feel right? Is this sitting right? You know, you have to constantly be your own worst critic going, oh, is this crap? What's this? Is this, you know, you have to, and also you have to be able to work with people that you trust their opinion. So that when they go, that's why, you know, Robert Evans was such a great producer because he was able to tell, that's the trouble if you become, you know, a celebrated director, um, you know, can you take criticism? Can someone take, give you a note and go, is that any good? You know, and you go, you're right, actually, I think that's, what, and that's what I think sometimes does happen. I mean, look, you know, uh, if, if, if someone, you know, if you can make one shiny in your life, you'd be happy, wouldn't you? Oh my God. <laughs> You imagine? You? I would. I'd take any, almost any movie out of out of Stanley's filmography and go. I'll I'll take that one. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, you know. I'll take you, I'll take Full Metal. And, I'll and take Eyes Wide Shut. <laughs> I mean, he would, wouldn't you? I mean, if, and that's why these guys are amazing, and you just keep kind of you know going back and to the thing. Yeah, and there's there's not, and that, that's why I kind of judge a film. Of, would I rewatch it? Right. Unless it's like really disturbing, that I don't want to rewatch it because I find it too disturbing. But you know. Uh, and it's funny how you can, if Jaws is on, you go, actually, I'll watch a bit of Jaws. You know, when you just see it on the streaming platform, you go, I'm going to watch that tonight. <laughs> Absolutely. You just go back to it, won't you? And kind of re, you know, because also these actors that are in there, you know, you know Dreyfus, it's oh, just so, they're so good, aren't they? There's such, oh, the way that they inhabit those characters is, uh, is, remar is remarkable. Now, let me ask you, you know, as a director's, we, there's always that day on set that we feel the entire world is coming down, crashing around us. Generally, yeah. that's every day. That's every day, generally. But there's always the <laughs> one. the heart in the bites. The bites <laughs> slowly. <laughs> so, so there's that one day that that's really bad, and you know, the camera doesn't work. Lost the location. The guy's cutting the tree next door. What? Yeah. What was that day for you on uh, my best friend's exorcism, and how did you overcome it? Uh, God, I mean, I'm trying to think of those days. Um, I need to think. I don't know if we had like a true shocker of a day on that. Mm -hmm. That's good. Yeah, because it, the thing about it is, I've been doing it so long, you literally, it's like this sort of thing that when it comes, you're just going, yeah, well, you just let it, you sort of have to absorb it and. Like I say, filmmaking is like the same, but always different because of the actors and the team that you have. There's always that combination and there's always something that will just go wrong. And you just have to, I think doing documentaries for years that, that allowed me to sort of pivot in a way of just going, because I used to always turn up places like I'd never been before and I like meet people, film them, and they're going to film some shots. And you were just making it up on literally, if you didn't get to recce, because so you couldn't sort of fly to America and meet the guy and go home again and go back and do it. You would just go and film them. And so um, you sort of, so it's kind of like taught me that don't get too rigid. Um, apart from like action sequences when you have to really plan and storyboard them and then pick off shots, which takes a very, very long time. Um, it's why like Bond has like the main unit and then it has the, the action unit, and they're running for like six months next to each other because of there's so many shots. But uh, 
I think that sort of doing documentaries for so long, I just kind of, if things sort of go wrong, I can just go, well, let's try and do something else. It doesn't floor me. I kind of go, you know, and, and things just happen all the time, you know. And the classic one is uh, you've got a driving sequence and you just go, so they go, right, just drive the car over there. And they go, oh, I don't drive. <laughs> I, I had it but, then, but on your headshot, went, but on your headshot, you say you ride horses, <laughs> you play the guitar and you yeah. drive. That's one of your special I, I, skills. I always remember one guy sort of said, no, I, I, I spent the money on, on dance lessons. That's what he said to me. And I was a bit like, you know, I literally just said, can you just drive the car over here? It was like a really small oversight. And so we had to put him in the seat behind, in the back seat, mm. and no. film in such a way and just mime the steering wheel when someone just drove in front of him. And we got away with it. It's just that it's just, you just choose the camera angle and, uh, you know, it just, so you just like hit it. You just kind of go, like, you just thought, of course, no one's asked him if he drives. Uh, but it's, but basically, directing is compromise in so many ways. It's constantly compromising and, and, and pivoting and shifting because, and I don't know about you, I love to walk on set with uh, and scare the hell out of my, my AD with uh, like 150 shots on my shot list every yes. day. He likes oh, goes, are you and, they're like, and they're like, you are, you, we have eight hours. And I'm like, yeah. I, they're there in case things go well. I know I'm going to shoot 20 of them, but. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. And uh, I think that it is a sort of career of patience of just, I mean, when you think about it, as you all know, it's um, that most of the day is spent lighting. Mm -hmm. Lighting is, or it's, you know, and lighting is key. It makes, everything looked great. And you just, so you know, you block, side of your shots, you sit, and then you start lighting. I mean, and then you just spend a lot of time lighting. So it's like riding that wave of, oh, you know, waiting for lighting. <laughs> but you know, and that's not me denigrating the director of photography. It's just no. like, that is the life, isn't it? It's the life of just kind of finding that inner, <laughs> That inner Zen, that inner Zen of place. You're like, okay, we're ready. Oh, okay, three hours. Two, how many? Two hours? Two hours. It's because yeah. they'll, they'll tell you 90 minutes, but it's going to be two hours. <laughs> I mean, and the other interesting thing I think is that people who don't work in the industry often say, you know, when you work with actors, they go, but you're the director. They just do what you say. You kind mm -hmm. of go, it doesn't quite work that way. <laughs> it doesn't, you know, that's not how it works. And they just don't understand that. It's, a very, you know, because actors do something that's really unique and special. And it's such a exposing and amazing thing that it's not just about, you You know, you do that over there. It's not that. <laughs> it's a kind no. of proper creative relationship that you sort of embark on. Um, Isn't it interesting, though, when, when uh, normies, I call them normies, people outside of the carnival business that is our, our world, <laughs> come on set. And they've only seen like behind the scenes yeah. and everything's edited. So it, like on set yeah, seems like pop, 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 pop. It's, <laughs> it's you're going fast and they're sitting there like three hours later, they're sitting in the chair with the, with the headphones on for sound. And they're like, this is boring as crap. And I'm like, oh, it yeah. is. It's like it is. on a Marvel, on a Marvel movie, they'll spend what eight hours lighting for one shot. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. that's, they have all the money in the world. I mean, and they're making I it Tim Burton will just shoot two shots in a day and he'll just spend the whole morning just re rehearsing, rehearsing a big shot that has a lot of moving parts. And that's what you do. You have to, if you're going to shoot a shot, you're going to sh shoot it well or don't shoot it. This is the crazy thing sometimes about shooting is 
don't shoot. That's another, I think that's another thing I'd always say, don't shoot, uh, I'll say crap, but you know, uh, <laughs> uh, don't shoot rubbish, shoot stuff. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Because you're always going to look at it later and go, oh, why didn't I just, I knew, you know, I knew. I, had, uh, I know. That. I, and the thing about it is that's what you have to do as a director. You have to go, it's not right. We need to, you know, it doesn't feel right. Let's, and sometimes you set for a shot and you have to have the confidence. And it might have taken quite a long time to put the camera down there and the rigging and the guys, the grips. And then you start looking at it and go, it's not right. We just actually need to be over here. And you have to have the confidence to go, strip it all out and have people around you that, that kind of go, yes, you're making so Yeah, we, do, we, we see it. And also don't get sort of then also admit that you're doing something wrong sometimes. Like, oh, this actually, you know. I was I wrong. But that takes time to build up because when you're it first on, when you're first on set, you just don't want to look like you don't know what you're doing. Of course. But as you get older and you've got more more shrapnel yeah. uh, in you, you just go, guys, I, I made a mistake. Let's let's go over here. This is just not working. Let's yeah. Set the, don't say, yeah. It's gonna take two hours. I'm sorry. Let's go. Yeah. And and you you'll you'll never regret it because you're as you know, you're just the footage that you get will be like, you think, thank God, thank God, because you might as well shoot something great that took twice as long. I mean, it depends about obviously jeopardizing a location, whatever. You have to, that's why it's a sort of system of moving parts. You're always going, oh my God, can we, you know, we're only in here for one day. Like the interior of the weird house, you know, the, where it happens, was actually the, like the upstairs corridor in this other building. If you saw it from the outside, you'd never believe that we were, that was the inside of the house. But we got real freedom to like smash it up inside. But we had such limited time in there, you know, you just. But isn't but it, but isn't it true though that you have to sit once in the edit room and go, why didn't I move the camera? Why did I accept that shot when I knew something yeah. inside of me was telling me, no, you've got to, but you didn't have the balls or the confidence to yeah. change. And or but, the but once, or the, <laughs> yeah, and you're in the edit and you're edit and you're in the edit room and you're like, God, I need we either oh God, I got to get saved somehow with this. Yeah, these are lessons you learn along right. the way, and, and then you eventually do. you just like, I know. I'll get the shots that I need. I, I got to shoot the, the ashtray. Why? Because I need a freaking cutaway uh, yeah. to save yeah, my no, ass, just it, in case. Yeah, and, and, and it's just, yeah, yeah. It's, and also you have, to, you have to rely on people around you. You just have to rely a lot. Uh, but yeah, you, 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 you sort of, over the years, you're, also you sort of see the problems coming, I think. That's what happens. That's what I sort of see. You sort of go... I know that we do this, that's not going to work probably because you've sort of been there like 10 times sure. before. Sure, sure, sure. Thank you. You sort of, that, and that kind of, that, and that's why experience, I think, counts for a lot, you know. Mm -hmm. no, you know? Without question. I, especially when you, where, if you move and do different kind of genres occasionally, you sort of come over here, you, you sort of think, well, I've done a shot like that. I did a shot with someone underwater. I did that crash. I did someone leaning over, you know, and I just did it by, putting a green script and it's also knowing sometimes people can't like i just yeah i just did a thing about the black panthers in the early 70s and we just needed someone that was on Mar holland and i just saw a sort of shape in a park with a pathway i thought that'd be great actually because you put the car here just put a green screen around it everyone's sort of going like are you mad you know but we did it because i just knew it would work because the shape and i could 
but it felt like a sort of lookout point that you could park a car on. They had a, you know, and you just, um, it's like we, we did a sort of, uh, we had, had to recreate the Mexican border and we literally did it in like an Ikea car park. <laughs> and so you go on the, you go on the tech wrecking, you go, and it's just as concrete. <laughs> and it was literally going, I don't get it. I just don't see it. And you have to say, well, we put all the crossings here, put the fence there, put all the trucks here. We put like a blocking load of big trucks on that side. And then it just sort of, it, it sort of you have to visualize it. I think that that becomes a thing as well that you start to visualize things within spaces. And I think that that is another thing you start to see because right. you start thinking. I, I I do think, and it's not all. It depends what you're like as a director. I don't know about you, but I like photography, so I like yeah. yeah. So you sort of like I like photography. You know, you get quite into composition. And it's a bit like taking photos of people just, you know, when you think about it, a lot, you always take a photo sort of at shoulder height like this. It's rare mm. you sort of get on the floor and go like, oh, let's do that. You know, you're, out, you're not going to lay on the floor, are you? You're never going to put the camera down there. But you have to start thinking about that when you start shooting as a director. You, you sort of think, well, where can the camera go? And how does it make me feel about what I'm looking at, putting the camera in different positions? And that's another thing you start freeing yourself up about not just going here we are <laughs> but doing, right. you know <laughs> right. uh, but sometimes the simple sometimes the simplest things are just just as effective that's yeah. the other thing they oh, yeah, just hung like up on just making things really flashy because in the end it's the performance and the writing that are going to sell it all i mean you could look at some john ford shots and you're just like well that's a masterpiece and they just have to, and he just locked the camera off yeah and, and, and it's all, the radio you know, just lock just, it off. Just look at just, you know, um, it's insane. Yeah. And, but you know, that's a lot to do with location, isn't it? And get it just sort of going, we've got to go all the way to this remote place and do that shot. No, but no, no. Do, Ikea, Ikea, Ikea and a green screen. You've got Lawrence of Arabia. What are you talking about? David? Exactly. That's all you need nowadays. If he would have had Ikea and some green screen, we wouldn't even the desert. That's crazy. So my so my last question to you, sir, is if you were able to go back in time and talk to your younger self, is there one piece of advice you would give him, give him uh, one piece of advice about your filmmaking journey? Like, dude, you know, you really need to look out for this. I think um, is to do as much of it as you can sort of don't kind of just be waiting for the one moment that you feel is coming at a certain point in time. Just start shooting things. Just make a small film. Even if it's like, um, a, a, you know, a drama set in your own house with your family. You know, if you're, just think of a story. And, and, and also, if it comes from you, your own experience, then it will be truer, won't it? So that if, you, if something has happened to you, and you could do it, and you'll be surprised at who can act sometimes as well. You know, you're, and then by shooting something and keep it very small, just do something very limited and just see if you can make a narrative last for like two minutes or three minutes and put some music on it. Then I think, I think I, obviously back then there was a sort of, we didn't have either the technology, whereas now, but now you could just do it. And I think that in yeah. a way we have too many tools, <laughs> you know, and not I mean, enough now, story I, and not enough story. <laughs> it's true though, isn't it? And so, so kind of you, 
you know, what's the everything, everywhere, all at once? That movie. You oh, the Daniels. Oh, they're great. Oh, what amazing, what amazing kind of, but also very, very uh, interesting about the human condition, isn't it? It's all about what people mean to each other and what. Yep. And, and it's, it's. I mean, people with frankfurter fingers. I mean, it's. <laughs> when I had them on the show, I'm like. Dude, hot dog fingers, guys. Seriously, and they're like, "Yeah, we were, we were high." So, uh, <laughs> is that what they said? <laughs> I think they said something along those lines. Because, like, you, this is insane, guys. This is insane. You know, you, that's what I love about that film. Is like, uh, it's like we learn to express ourselves with our feet, and I think Jamie Jamie Lee Curtis is there, and then this little foot just covers up her face and stuff. I just thought, and the thing is, it's nuts, but it's true to them. It's very true. Perfect. You know? and, it's perfect. And, and I thought that's just really clever and just funny, very funny and touching. And uh, so oh, they're, they're great, those guys. God, they da are great. Damon, I could keep talking to you for about another five, six hours about geeking out oh, over. I mean, we could just start talking about Kubrick for an hour alone. Um, oh, where can people where can people see your new film, My Best Friend's Exorcism? It's on Amazon Prime Video now. It's it's released today, the first of September, and uh, yeah, so perfect Halloween um, film, perfect Halloween film. Yeah, well, watch it with friends. Yes, yeah, <laughs> like my first AD, Steve Moore, fantastic guy. He's doing a party tonight. They're re they're reenacting one of the uh, uh, Lemon Brothers <laughs> scenes tonight. Nice <laughs> with his nice. friends. So I just yeah, fantastic. Yeah, watch but it with the, with the group. My friend, congratulations on the film and continued success with with uh, I can't wait to see your next films uh, coming oh, up, my friend. So I appreciate you, my friend. Thank you again. Thank you. Thank Alex. Been brilliant. Thank you. I want to thank Damon for coming on the show and dropping his knowledge bombs on the tribe today. Thank you so much, Damon. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, including how to watch his new film, My Best Friend's Exorcism on Amazon, head over to the show notes at bulletproofscreenwriting.tv forward slash 266. Thank you so much for listening, guys. As always, keep on writing no matter what. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast at BulletproofScreenwriting.tv.